Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, I'm probably starting to sound like a bit of a broken record, constantly going over all of the bad economic news that continues to to trickle in, uh, although now it's more of a deluge than a trickle. Uh, but every day we get news, it tends to be bad news. And I guess at the risk of beating a dead horse, I'm going to go over uh, some of the new pieces of bad news that should be weighing much more heavily uh, on the markets than they are. Uh, although the dollar has been uh, continuing to drift lower ever since Janet Yellen removed the word patience uh, last week and inserted a more patient attitude, even though the word is not there. In fact, I have a new uh, commentary out on the website today, uh, given the old razzle dazzle, uh, in which I uh, wrote something now about uh, the Fed. And of course, I recorded my last uh podcast on that and we have a video blog on the topic so plenty of uh, of coverage from me on the fed but since then the dollar has continued to go down it actually made new uh post uh patient removal lows across the board this morning but the dollar rallied back and so it managed to recoup its losses it finished a little bit positive against some currencies slightly negative but we really saw some strength uh, in the Australian New Zealand dollar, uh, in fact, the New Zealand dollar this week hit a record high, not only against the euro, but an all-time record high against the Australian dollar. Uh, and of course, the strong New Zealand dollar is not uh, undermining the New Zealand economy. I mean, they have low inflation, uh, a strong currency, yet they have uh, lots of economic growth and low unemployment, right? Go figure. Right. This, you know, the central bankers now should think this is impossible. New Zealand needs to weaken their currency. Uh, but clearly that is not the case. And in fact, the New Zealand dollar did finish, I think, slightly positive today. Interesting that the Swiss franc had a very strong day today 
not only against uh, the euro, but against the dollar. Uh, so even though the dollar rallied back against the euro, which traded above 110 uh, early this morning, uh, the Swiss franc still finished strong on the day. And I think we're getting some more safe haven flows uh, back into the Swiss franc. You know, now that the Swiss franc is no longer tied to the euro, it's a much safer alternative than it was when that peg was in existence. But I wanted to first go to the economic data. Uh, First, Monday's release. Here's a real bad number that came out. Chicago Fed National Activity. And this is a perfect example of Wall Street's, you know, optimism, always expecting good news and then, you know, getting bad news. So the Chicago Fed National Activity Index was down in uh, December, right? And and so January was reported as a gain of 0.13. That was the original report. Now, the consensus for the February number, which we got on Monday, was that the 0.15 level that the index was at in January, that we would the cons- we would go up to 0.15 from 0.13, right? So they were looking for the index to increase from the 0.13 that was originally reported. Here's what we actually got. They went back and they revised the positive 0.13 from January to a minus 0.1, right? So January didn't gain It was down to minus 0.1. And February, instead of coming in at 0.15, came in at minus 0.11. So in other words, February was actually worse than the downward revision to January. Yet Wall Street was expecting February to improve from what was an erroneously high initial report for uh, January. And so now we have three consecutive months where the Chicago Fed has has dropped. This hasn't happened since June of 2011. So you got to go back to 2011 to find a year where you had three consecutive months of a declining uh, Chicago Fed National Activity Index. Uh, coincidentally, GDP for 2011 was 1.6% for the entire year. And the reason is that is the year that the Fed ended QE2, right? The Fed ended QE2 and the economy immediately, you know, relapsed back into recession. And so in QE, in, in 2012, they, they, they launched QE3. So the Fed took away QE1 in the fourth quarter of 2000, or QE2. They ended QE2 in the fourth quarter of 2010. So 2011 slowed significantly, and before it got even worse, before we went back into recession, and we probably would have re-entered recession in 2012, and we needed to re-enter it because we didn't you know, resolve all the imbalances. The Fed screwed that up with QEs 1 and 2, but instead, we, we quickly had QE3 uh, to, to juice the economy back up with stimulus, which is why I think they're getting ready to uh, come up with another dose QE4, right? Because now we're starting to act like 2011. The numbers are deteriorating rapidly. Uh, What's the Fed going to do? Well, we know what they're going to do because they do the same thing all the time. I mean, if they're one thing, if not uh, predictable. So that was the the bad economic news from um, yesterday. Also on existing home sales, I mean, that number came out 
And that was below estimates as well. It was uh, the fourth month in a row that the number came out below estimates. And part of the reason was that rising prices are making it harder for buyers to qualify, which is true. And especially when you have so many buyers that have, you know, low paying jobs, part time jobs. Uh, But imagine this, if buyers are having a hard time qualifying to buy a house because the prices are too high, even though they have the hope, the help of record low mortgage rates, how is the Fed going to pull the rug out from under the home buyers that are still in the market, those few people that can buy? Uh, Because if they make mortgage rates go up, then these expensive houses are going to get much more expensive. Right. The only reason that people can afford to overpay for a house is because they get a sweetheart deal on their mortgage. But if the Fed takes that sweetheart deal away, nobody can afford to buy unless the prices fall significantly. But if they fall significantly, well, now what happens? We know what happens. You know, we get the jingle mail and now the banks are in trouble and now we need bailouts. And so we've seen that movie. And so obviously, again, with the real estate market already in trouble, Uh, it's going to be difficult for the Fed to raise rates. Now, we got a better number on February. New home sales was actually shot up unexpectedly, despite the bad weather somehow, even in uh, the Northeast in February. Uh, Although there's a lot big margin of error there. So I kind of raise an eyebrow on those uh, existing homes uh, of new home sales, especially since the housing starts number that we got last were so weak and the permit number was so weak. You know, if builders are really selling out their houses, why don't they want to build more? Although maybe they realize that, you know, maybe, you know, once they sell these, they're done. I mean, they may, maybe they can see the writing on the wall uh, and they don't want to be building more houses. They just want to get rid of the ones that they, that they already have. But the, um, The bad news that came out today was in the Richmond Fed Manufacturing Index. Now, this number, again, I think they were looking for a positive number. Let me pull up uh, what they were looking for. Yeah, they were looking for a plus two. The prior month uh, was unchanged. The level was zero. And so they were looking for a plus two. And the consensus was as high as plus five and as low as minus four. So the lowest estimate anybody had was minus four. And the index came out at minus eight. So it was twice as low as the most bearish forecast on Wall Street. So this was the lowest level uh, in nearly two years for the Richmond uh, Fed Manufacturing Index. And this is the fourth time in five months that the index has declined. Right. So, again, this is consistent with a weakening economy. Now, we did get some supposed good news on inflation. Uh, The uh, CPI, the government's version of inflation, you know, it's really the effect of inflation, the increase in prices that came out today. And the expectation was for a 0.2 percent increase in the headline number. And that's exactly what we got. We got 0.2. I mean, 0.1, 0.2 is pretty much, we always get that. And uh, the year-over-year change was minus uh, 0.1, you know, and the the prior was minus 0.2. So I guess it's a little bit better. When you take out food and energy, though, the so-called core, right, that was one point, I mean, that was supposed to come in at 0.1, and it came in at 0.2. 
higher than expected. So I guess that's good news, right? Because, you know, the Fed is worried that there's not enough inflation. And so the core uh, was up 0.2. And so now the core CPI year over year is up 1.7%, right? It's still not the 2% that the Fed wants. They still want to ratchet it up a bit, right? Because it's only 1.7. They really want two. Uh, But that's a little higher than the 1.6 that we got before. But if you actually look into the numbers, everything was up pretty much across the board. Food prices were up. Energy prices were up. Shelter was up. You know, all the basics, you know, that you need to live, you know, got more expensive. So the Fed can breathe easy uh, that the cost of living went up and that if you want to rent an apartment, it's going to cost you a little more. If you want to heat it or air condition it, it's going to cost you a little more. If you want to eat while you're living there, it's going to cost a little more. Hey, you know, by the way, there really was some good news in the ground beef number. I mean, the price of a hamburger, right? If you want to make a hamburger for you, uh, it's going to cost you four twenty four a pound. That's the price now in February for ground beef. Uh, that's an all-time record high. It's the most expensive it's ever been uh, to make a hamburger. And the price of uh, ground beef is up 19.2% in the last year alone. So in an era of no inflation and lots of unemployment, you got a 19.2% increase in the price of beef. You got a lot of people that are flipping burgers, but not that many people can afford to eat them anymore. Now, if you throw some cheese on there, it can really get expensive. But apparently this should be good news uh, for the Fed, you know, because, hey, you know, because if if uh, hamburger prices weren't rising, people might not buy any. They might just sit back and go hungry while they're waiting for the price to drop. Uh, But now with a 19 percent increase, I mean, I'm sure nobody regrets that hamburger that they that they bought last year because, hey, you know, it's more expensive now. So you better buy now because, you know, you'll. It'll be more expensive. If you wait, it's only going to cost more. So you better hurry up and, and buy before the next uh, next round of price increases. You know, maybe it was the fact that we didn't come out below expectations on the CPI numbers today that the dollar uh, kind of gained back uh, some of its early morning losses. I mean, maybe this is seen as, oh, you know, because the Fed— the Fed's got two indicators, right? Two goalposts that it constantly will be moving. One is on unemployment and the other one is on inflation. I know I think the only thing that the people that the markets are going to be focused on pretty soon is going to be inflation, right? Because uh, Yellen said and she made it clear that the jobs market needs to improve from here before she can consider raising rates. Because the improvement that we've had to date doesn't cut it. And again, that shows that the Fed doesn't believe the hype and is looking beneath the surface. She's not looking at the superficial uh, 5.5% unemployment rate, or she's not looking at uh, just the number of jobs being created. She's looking at labor force participation. She's looking at hourly earnings. She's looking at all the uh, underemployed people. And she realizes that the labor market is still very weak. But here's my point. I think the jobs numbers are more of a lagging than a leading indicator. And it's not this is again, this is not just what I think. This is generally accepted uh, by most economists that these numbers would lag rather than lead because employers, employees or employers, when they're hiring, right, they're hiring based on, you know, what they think might happen. So if the employers are optimistic 
they might hire more people. But if it turns out they were wrong and the economy turns south, well, you know, they would be hiring, they would be firing those people uh, after the fact. And that's what we've had, right? You had a big buildup in confidence uh, in 2014. Everybody was convinced the recovery was here because it had been beaten into their head. Uh, The media was constantly, uh, you know, pounding the table on this recovery. Uh, So businesses geared up, they hired, they stocked up on inventory. And as I said back then, you know, you know, it's like you're in a desert and you see a mirage and you think you're going to get a bunch of water and you're getting all excited about this you know, beautiful oasis that you see and you can see the waterfall and you want to go and drink some water. And when you get there, you know, all you get is a handful of sand uh, because what you saw was 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 a mirage. It wasn't real. And I think as the employers realize that they looked at a mirage, not an actual recovery, uh, they are going to be laying off some workers. Uh, That's going to happen. You know, rather than the jobs numbers all of a sudden or rather than all of the weak economic data suddenly turning around and becoming positive to match the jobs numbers, it's far more likely that the jobs numbers will turn south uh, to match all the other economic data that I think is more of a leading indicator than a lagging indicator of what is going on with the economy. So if that is the that is the case, right, that means the jobs picture has already plateaued, right? We've already seen the best payroll numbers, the lows on the unemployment rate, and we're likely to turn the corner. And the unemployment rate is going to start, you know, ratcheting back up from five and a half percent. And we're going to start creating fewer jobs. We're going to start printing, you know, non-farm payroll numbers below 200,000 as opposed to above, especially if the statisticians over the Bureau of Labor Statistics begin to take a more, you know, realistic uh, outlook on the economy and alter their birth death assumptions. Remember, they've been very optimistic. And so they probably assumed a lot of new business startups were hiring people. Uh, if they taper back those optimistic assumptions, they won't be adding as many jobs you know, via the birth death model. So that's another reason that the numbers could start to come down. And I have a feeling, too, that we, end, we might end up with some downward revisions to a lot of these uh, previously reported numbers. And so we'll find out that there weren't even as many jobs created as we thought, which means the labor market was even weaker uh, than Yellen thought when she said that it was still not strong enough to raise rates. So if it's all downhill from here when it comes to the jobs market, right, then obviously the Fed is not going to be able to raise rates because it's already stated it can't raise rates unless the labor market strengthens from where it was. If it begins to weaken, then at least uh, the labor market is not even a factor anymore. Rates will stay at zero, uh, you know, indefinitely. The only other goalpost that she has is inflation. So as long as unemployment starts to pick up and the jobs market slows, then the only thing that theoretically would cause the Fed to raise rates would be if inflation was far enough above her 2% target. But that's never going to happen. I mean, first of all, whenever she talks about the inflation target, she talks about it in the medium term. And I don't even know what the medium term is. I mean, how many years is the medium term? Is that one year, three years, five years, seven? What's medium term, right? But she says we want to make sure that we have inflation at 2% in the medium term. I think the reason she says that is so if it gets there today, well, that's not the medium term. So if we actually hit 2%, that's not really there. She has to be confident that it's going to be there in the medium term. 
So who knows what? Maybe it can go to 3 or 4% in the short term, and she's still not satisfied that it's going to be 2% in the medium term because we don't even know when the medium term actually is. And I think she's being deliberately obtuse because she knows that rising inflation can never be the catalyst to raise rates, although she has to pretend that it could be because she has to pretend she's the vigilant inflation fighter, even as she's extolling the virtues of inflation, because what's likely to happen is that the economy is going to weaken and right inflation is going to get worse, especially if I'm right about the dollar having peaked and then you know surrendering a lot of its ill-gotten gains. Remember, the dollar's gains were predicated on the Fed raising rates to cool off a, an accelerating economy. If in Fed, instead the Fed is on hold at zero or maybe launches QE4 to try to rescue a faltering economy, all bets are off. Right? It's a whole new game. And so if, if the scenario that everybody expected doesn't pan out, the dollar has to give up those gains. Right? And so when the dollar gives up those gains and oil prices continue to rise, I mean, they've now risen. They were down at 42 bucks was the low uh, before the Fed uh, spoke. And now they're back at about 48. And if the dollar keeps rising, we could move up. We ba- if we go above 54 or 55 on oil prices, I think that'll be- mean the bottom is in and we could have a big rise uh, if the dollar continues to sink. And so if a weakening dollar reignites commodity prices, I think that the Fed is going to be banging into its 2% target and exceeding it quite quickly, which means there's no way, right? Even if inflation is getting worse with a weak economy, the Fed is not going to raise rates to try to fight that inflation. In fact, the Fed is going to say it's transitory, it's temporary, it's commodity related, it's dollar related. She's just going to keep on looking at the weak labor markets and the Phillips curve. And she's going to be saying there's no wage pressure, so there can't be any inflation. And even if it, even if it, you know, perks up a little bit, it's okay. And even if it's above 2% for a little while, well, that's no big deal because we were below it. We want symmetry. So when the focus moves away from employment and to inflation, because the uh, labor market weakens, and so that's no longer a, a, a an issue for tightening. In fact, the Fed is going to want to be more easy, launch QE4. She's, there's going to be a lot of pressure on the Fed when the labor market turns south. And of course, you know, the rhetoric starts to heat up for the 2016 elections. And Janet Yellen, of course, you know, she wants to help Hillary. She wants to be reappointed. And, she, you know, she knows that if we're in this deep recession during the election, uh, that Hillary is going to have a lot of baggage, just like John McCain couldn't get reelected in the aftermath of the blow up in Clinton's, I mean, in Bush's second term. If the U.S. economy falls apart during Obama's second term, then nobody associated with his administration is going to be able to win an election or even with his party. And, and so Janet Yellen knows her job is on the line because there's no way I think a Republican uh, president is going to reappoint uh, Janet Yellen. So her, you know, her life will be on the line. So she's going to really, you know, want to be stimulating the economy with QE4 uh, with a weak, uh, weak uh, in- employment market. There's no way that she's going to say, oh, we got to fight inflation. You know, inflation's at my 2% target. So I'm going to tighten, even though we have rising unemployment, even though the economy is weakening. I'm going to be a hawk. I'm going to just be tough on inflation. I want hard money, not on your life. So once we focus to 
inflation as the barometer of when the Fed is going to raise rates, then more people will know they're never going to raise rates, which, of course, has been my uh, my point for the entire time. And that's when the bottom really starts to drop out of the dollar. That's when it really accelerates its decline. And eventually, yes, eventually we will have a currency crisis and that will be something that will force the Fed's hand. But since the dollar you know, was propped up so much uh, by a bunch of speculators who have no idea what's going on, it has a long way to fall before it gets into that danger zone territory uh, that might prompt a real run on the currency, a run on the bond market, and then force the Fed uh, to defend the currency and fight inflation no matter what the short-term consequences would be uh, for the economy or for the bond market. Hi, this is Peter Schiff, and long before foreign governments and hedge funds were buying gold by the ton, I urged my clients to put 5 to 10% of their portfolios into physical precious metals. Despite gold's massive rise over the last decade, I still think that a 5 to 10% allocation to gold and silver is a smart investment decision. But buyers have to beware. Big TV gold dealers push all sorts of coins that are poor investments. Bait-and-switch deals, price protection guarantees, leveraged gold accounts. These are just a few of the sleazy tactics used to swindle inexperienced gold buyers. My gold company is different. We never offer a coin or bar unless I consider it to be a good investment. I want my customers to be educated. That's why I'm offering you a free research report exposing the biggest scams and ripoffs in the industry. Download my report, Classic Gold Scams, and how to avoid getting ripped off for free at goldscams.com. This report tells you everything you need to know about how to avoid losing thousands of dollars with scam gold dealers. It even tells you how to tell if a salesman is lying to you on the phone. This is a must-read for anyone considering a gold or silver investment. Download this free report today at goldscams.com. That's goldscams.com.